0: us, stick around for that on CITR 101.9 FM.
1: support for October 29th, 2014. Tonight on the show we have co-candidate and artist Keith Higgins to talk about civic politics and his campaign. Christine Kim will be in later to update us on UBC Theatre and if we have time we will chat about the GM Gameshi scandal. So stay tuned. Hi, everybody. You're listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. I'm your host for tonight, Sarah Lapsley. Um, It's nice to be back. Rohit, my co-host, was on last week and he'll be on again next week. And I'm actually not going to do this anymore. Oh, my God. I gave kind of my notice. So I'm going to be wrapping up at the Art Report end of November because I have to do my thesis. Like, it's no joke. Um, So but CITR is a truly amazing place full of wonderful people, and there's all sorts of fun things to do around here, so I'm going to keep my involvement up, and you never know, maybe I'll start a new show. I think it would be funny to call it, in my humble opinion, but I won't do that. Uh, I just played Oceans Wide by Split Single, a band, and the drummer of that band is John Worcester, my friend, it's his birthday this week, so happy birthday, John Worcester, and also on the same day, is Robert Pollard's birthday, October 31st. So two rockers born on Halloween. Um, So we've got Keith Higgins coming in. He's not here yet. Hopefully he's not like lost in the sub building or waiting in the lounge. Um, But, you know, I will just kind of rant until he arrives. So for your sake, I hope he arrives soon. I thought I might um, talk about the Gian Gameshi thing a little bit. So I know I'm kind of, like, surfing into dangerous territory. Uh, and I don't really have anything up. Actually, I, a friend just sent me this sort of breaking news thing. Um, and it's an audio, so hopefully it won't come on. Well, I can't seem to turn off the audio. It's probably going to... There, I'll just figure it out. But basically, okay, so nobody really needs much updating on what's happened and unfortunately it sort of superseded the events like potentially one of the most bizarre historical events in canadian history the shootings at the parliament buildings have now been overshadowed by Jean Gameshi's sex scandal um and how it's played out is so interesting so i'll just kind of talk about my own reaction and Um, You know, I never was a great fan of Gian Gameshi. I don't really listen to the CBC. I mean, he was like an attractive guy, but there was something I kind of didn't like about him, never paid much attention to the show. But um, then, I don't know, I read something about his dad dying. I started to feel sympathy for him. And then I saw the notices that, you know, he was taking a break from the show and I thought he's grieving. Maybe he's having some kind of a breakdown because of his father's death. And then out came his Facebook statement about, um, well, then the firing and then the Facebook statement. So that was the first thing most people saw. Um, And pretty much I think the opinion was everybody rallied around him like, oh, my God, he's just like a nice hot guy. He's into BDSM and he's being judged and isn't this terrible and he's so open and, isn't it great he's so open and and one sort of astute blogger talked about this tradition in Canada of like you know staying out of the bedroom right government stays out of the bedroom and we all agree on that um, so everyone at first came out in support of him and then boom the Toronto Star then came out with the the sort of allegations that they had and i guess i guess after i read his statement i was like oh my god that's a completely hysterical say, statement with too much information and, and I thought, you know, people do, people do some rotten things at work and they don't get fired like that. Like they might be put on suspension without pay, but people have done, you know, worse things than than BDSM and, and not been fired. So I thought there's gotta be more. And, and there was from the Toronto Star. So then, and now there's these allegations that, um, you know, uh, he, He's a creep, basically, um, who was violent towards women, sort of outside of the bounds of consent, but the women were afraid to come forward. Um, and then this has caused a huge backlash against Gian Gameshi, who's, like, totally shamed. Um, and a lot of talk about... I don't even like to use the term because I don't even know what it means. Rape culture and entitlement and 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 sexual abuse and so on. So... At this point, and and now this friend just forwarded me this thing. Um, Now someone has come forward, like, um, in the media, just, like, today, talking about, she's still remaining anonymous, but talking about the physical abuse she experienced. What's kind of coming out is that people knew he was a, quote, unquote, bad date, um, and that, you know, certainly I've seen comments from friends on Facebook that kind of knew he was a creep. Um, and, and then the BDSC, BDSM community is coming back and saying, you know, we have these sort of sacred rules. He's kind of claiming that that's all it was, but he's, he's not one of us basically. Um, and so now everybody hates Gian Gameshi; He's a villain. Um, and so, yeah. And even though lawyers have gone on TV and said, Oh, like he has no right to sue. He couldn't even sue for a dollar. He still launched a lawsuit. So now that's in play, I guess, as of today. So, um, yeah, I guess, I don't know. Then now, because I'm always taking a counter position. Now I'm saying, okay, um, you know, we believed him. Now we hate him. Now I want to come in the middle a bit because, you know, I can see why these women want to remain anonymous. Um, But until kind of charges are laid or people come out, these remain allegations. Um, So they are allegations. And I think, you know, if we frame his behavior as a rapist, we tend to have or, or a sexual abuser, then we tend to have, you know, we 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 absolutely don't condone that and we stop having compassion for people um and especially when it comes along with things like narcissism and entitlement which now we're certain he is and you know we used to look at his photos and it was like oh he's so cute and handsome and smart now all the photos of like oh he's really a creep like you know suddenly all the photos he looks kind of smarmy um so i don't know i mean i'm starting to think about um you know, beneath the narcissism and entitlement, there's probably a pretty heavy-duty sex addiction in there. Um, and there's a level of compulsion to his behavior um, that that may uh, be cause for some compassion. Although, you know, if he's really physically attacking women, hopefully charges are not far behind because he shouldn't be above the law. I mean, he's a Canadian radio star. So, um I think we can hold both views that he is, if these allegations are true, he's culpable, he's been physically and sexually abusive and predatory, but, um, you know, that doesn't mean he's not a human being who's potentially driven by extremely compulsive behavior and is probably feeling really, I don't know how I feeling right now. If I was him, I'd be feeling pretty, pretty bad. And thinking of the women too, I mean, you know, I think it just brings the reality to the fore. Well, I hope I'm not just like, well, putting my foot totally in my mouth um, right now, because you know, it just brings up people's divisions, and 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 people have been really inflamed by this. As a woman, I think the reality is, you know, you know, I can look back on my own life and and know those times where I was like, yeah, and then suddenly you're like, no, but then it's. It's too late, really. You know, you're in some kind of compromising position and um, and it gets easier to go along. So I mean, it seems like because there's a potential gray area with some consent and it it's what's maybe holding these women back from pursuing it to the fullest extent. Um, but I hope they are encouraged to pursue it to the fullest extent that they can, um, but I think I'm glad people are rallying around and saying, you know, women do come up against these these kind of situations that are that are really horrible, and, uh, you know, luckily a lot of women kind of recognized him as a creep and blew him off, which was good, but you know, I thought, what if I was them? Like, what if I was in Toronto at a social event, and I met Gian Gimeshi, and he was like, hey, you know... I would go, like, I would go with him because he's, like, a handsome star, and hopefully, you know, you'd get yourself out of it. So, yeah, this is awful all around. The way it's played out has been really interesting, I guess, and a testament to our, um, you know, the ways of public opinion and social media. Um, I don't think he's going to really survive this one. He's done. Like, he, he can't save himself. I think, I think there's allegations that are probably founded public opinion is against him that doesn't mean he can't recover from this but um I don't know if he will in Canada so I think it just you know is a reminder of the abuse that continues to happen and and hopefully this will come out in a way that that is that sort of justice is served rather than people hiding and we're also now more aware of why people hide because people aren't met with encouragement when they when they bring allegations out especially against someone like him so i don't know i've just kind of went on a blabby rant um probably not all of what i said made a lot of sense but yeah the allegations so i'm gonna stop <laughs> hopefully no one's mad by what i said but the, the latest thing, and this is from a, a CBC website. I th- no, CBC. Who's reporting on this? CBC. <laughs> uh, conflict of interest, maybe. So this woman says she met Gameshi. So she's now coming up with more substantiated allegations. She met him a decade ago. Um, she accepted an invitation to one of his shows. Um, later, he drove her to her car, basically creeped out on her in the car, Um and and she said, no. Oh, wow. So she said he kind of hit on her. She said, no, I don't know you. Um, and then um, he, he was started to be physically abusive to her. But not to the extent that she didn't agree to see him again. She did agree to see him again. But this time, um, wow. Okay, so she says he really beat her up. So, yeah, hopefully. She said she decided not to go to the police, but she regrets the decision now. Um, and so yeah I hope that something comes out that takes him to court so these allegations are proven and hopefully we can create a society where women feel more confident about coming out but it's so easy to just wish it would all go away Um, and I'm sure that's what all these women did and and there's definitely a pattern lots of people have come out saying he creeped out on them so he's he's a creep I think I think we all agree. So I don't even think there's anything further to discuss now. <clears throat> Morgan, our news director. Oh, maybe Rohit's here. <laughs> I'm gonna make Rohit come in. I'm talking about the Jyotirmoshi thing. I just talked about it for ten or fifteen minutes, and now I, <laughs> I'm desperately hoping that you can throw in some two cents. Can you? Fifty cents.
2: Fifty cents. More like five dollars. Oh, five. $50. Are you on? Hold on. <laughs> So many dollars to be thrown. Okay, so
1: basically I just blabbed said a bunch of stuff, kind of laid out what happened. Mm-hmm. What's your opinion?
2: My opinion is it's it's sadly a cop-out because uh, I don't know if there's been any new updates. I just kind of stopped reading about it after a while because it was getting it was getting on my nerves, like the coverage of it. So, yeah, I, I think um, that the facts aren't really there right now to to paint enough of an accurate picture
1: so you're reserving judgment i'm
2: reserving judgment but but i will admit that uh some of the signs do not point to a promising picture of gian gomeshi for example the pr written statement that he posted on facebook yeah like that that had some really weak attempts at pandering to the Public and reframing the argument. I mean, I know it's what you got to do when you're in a well situation I, like that. I but. think
1: in retrospect, it just looked like. Sorry, we're talking about the Gian Gameshi thing. Keith Higgins just came into the studio. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, we're going to wrap it up because it's just very but, quick. But um, like, it was this uh, this this attempt at on- honesty and openness, which seems like a manipulation now.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's true. With retrospect, after the article, the Toronto Star article came out, so.
1: Well, there's this new thing that's just come out today from CBC, where a woman has done a like an audio interview with the CBC talking about her experience with him. This is, I don't even th- know if this is one of the Toronto Star women, but basically she went on a date with him and he, he beat her up on the date.
2: Oh man! So it
1: wasn't even like an even it wasn't even didn't even start as a negotiated kind of BDSM encounter. So yeah. He could end up with criminal charges. I guess that's good. Yeah, In the court of a pu- public opinion, he's done. He's toast. It just depends on the emerge. That's all I was waiting for. Emerge.
2: I was just waiting for criminal charges to be kind of like finalized. But yeah, like his reputation is already gone. Well, yeah. what's
1: sad is like this guy, Owen Pallett, I guess he's a musician, wrote yeah. this kind of long... And he said, oh, I've always known he was a bad date. We used to joke about it. Well, I guess it was common knowledge. Yeah. Like he didn't... He and Gian didn't... But he and other friends, everybody knew he was a creep and a predator. But, you know, I sort of said, yeah. like, I I would have gone with him. Like, you can see why women would agree because he's a big star. Like, you know, he's sort of well thought of, handsome. He seems intelligent. If he was like, hey, let's go for dinner. Yeah, I would go, right? If you're susceptible to that. But a lot of women weren't, thankfully, because apparently he's just so creepy. Like... Even that lost its appeal. Yeah.
2: Wow. He he managed to screw up like with all that fame and stuff, man. <laughs>
1: so I'm gonna play a song. Now you know that he was in a band, a nineties band.
2: Yeah, yeah. What's it called? It starts with an M.
1: I, I I've <laughs> Keith is like, Why did I come? Oh my god. Moxie Fruvis. That's now, the one. Yeah. I oh didn't god. really know who they were until this whole thing, um,
0: I band with funny hats. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Brutal. So I'm just going to play a few minutes of it to torture you. Um, <laughs> oh, and then we're going to come back with Keith Higgins, a politician, even Cope. Even
3: that.
1: Cope candidate, right? Yeah, that's right. Good. Okay, so here's Moxie Friva stuck in the 90s. Let's see what we can do.
4: And no more right That's Genevieve Missy
1: singing right now.
4: Oh, he's not he wakes up to homeless are stupid, welfare is stupid, private investment efficiency Cool fiscal planning. Sounds like more Pat Buchanan. Back in his day job this afternoon. Unlikely he'll move down to Cuba soon. Reluctant to find. Stuck in the '90s again. Clem reads of the old days. Twenty years goes a long way. Challenge the system. Relating is easy on a demo. demo? Now they'll send it by Cause there's no need for the peace at post-republican peace join the parade wave the flag tell the world it's your lackey abby hoffman was wacky riding the bike to his foreign car burning his mind in his vcr reluctant to
1: Whoa, okay, that was Moxie Fruvis. I'm just not going to put you through that anymore. So, we're back on the Arts Report, CITR 101.9 FM, and I'm with Keith Higgins. Say hi. Hi there. Hi, thanks for coming in.
0: Oh, thanks.
1: So, you're an artist?
0: Yeah, uh, I've been um, making art, writing publishing books since I was a teenager, actually. Nice. Except for a few years' detour where I was a business consultant. It's not something I recommend doing <laughs> if you want a career as an artist. But it certainly uh, it certainly learned a lot of things.
1: Yeah. So, but recently, quite recently, mm-hmm. you decided to run for political office.
0: Yeah, which is not something I ever saw myself doing. And, um... I mean, it's interesting in that um, there are a lot of people running for office in Vancouver this time around who are quite serious about it, who are not joke candidates, who have never done it before. Um, There is, well, you know, without getting into like the real politics of the situation, there's a lot of um, breakdowns in trust between people and between governments and and so on and so people who are not accustomed to doing this sort of thing are, are suddenly doing it there happen to be five artists on the on the uh, ticket with um cope the coalition of progressive electors which i'm running for that's uh, me um jennifer o'keefe who's also running for council who's uh, a painter um Heidi Nagtagal, Nagtagal, sorry mm-hmm. honey, uh, which was, um, who uh, does the Hammock Residency and many other amazing things. Um, Ezra Bloom, who is part of the Grops Gallery Collective. And uh, Cease Weiss, who's, um, you know, a, a great long-time friend of mine. Um, First Nations botanist and teacher and... Singer and media artist,
1: one of those like multi-talented people. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But you know, I was thinking before this, I was like, "Wow, you know, I consider myself (laughs) a well-educated person.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: I'm doing my master's degree. I I have a radio show, and I was like, I know zero about (laughs) civic politics. I mean, absolutely zero, other than." The mayor is Gregor Robertson. I didn't even know what Cope was. And then that made me realize if I don't know anything, probably a lot of other people don't know anything mm-hmm. either. So, can you take me back to the beginning, knowing that I don't know anything, and describe like Vancouver civic politics?
0: Okay, Vancouver. Vancouver's an interesting case. Vancouver's first mayor was the head of um, CPR's property division. The uh, second mayor was um, a property owner of basically what at that time was the entire east side. So the CPR developed quite a bit of the west side, and the Oppenheimers developed quite a bit of the east side, and there's a park named after them. Right. A
1: notorious park.
0: And as we go farther along, we find that there were liberals and conservatives running for power and then there was a lot of opposition from socialists so liberals and conservatives got together at one point and formed something that they called the nonpartisan association which oddly enough is a political party that says it's not a political party which was meant basically that you know we'll have both establishment parties participating for preserving our hold of the right people on civic office um, and they weren't seriously contested by another party, although there, was the, there were people who were involved in the Cooperative Commonwealth Federation, which is the forerunner of the NDP, and there were communists and so on who all formed an opposition. They weren't organized into an actual civic group until the, um, until the late 60s when the, um, at that time, I think they called themselves the Committee of progressive electors formed. And so there was an umbrella of everybody who was not in the establishment parties, basically, and wanted some sort of progressive change. And there have been other parties that have happened over the the years. Um, One of the times when Cope actually held power was when Larry Campbell was elected mayor.
1: He was our best mayor.
0: You think so? I don't know. Actually, I... Was I was not crazy about him personally, but, you know... Uh, I just you, said that. Because <laughs> he was
1: on... Um, he was a coroner.
0: Right. Well, he was, he was our most... Um, let's see. He had our best TV pedigree <laughs> of any mayor. Um, and there were some good people in that council. There were some really amazing people who were elected on that council as part of a, a COPE majority. Mm-hmm. And... Um, And then what happened after they were elected was that some of them discovered that they didn't want to work with some of the others, uh, which eventually led to the formation of Vision Vancouver, which was seen as still being left but sort of softer. Um, And there was an electoral alliance for many years between Vision and COPE. So Vision would run its slate of candidates, and they were good at getting... um, big backers, which I think was part of the reason the party formed. It's like, how do we hold on to civic power? Well, if we just veer a little bit this way, then we can interest some people who've got money in it, in, you know, supporting us. And, you know, the other guys will break off and splinter some other way. Um, for many years, there was an electoral alliance. In the last election, it did not work at all to cope benefit. Um benefit. And none of Cope's councillors got elected. Um, so it's been, you know, this is like a period of ten years we're just coming out of that not just for the civic left but for the civic right as well there have been a lot of toxic upheavals because the whole, um... When Sam Sullivan was mayor um... His... Um... His mayoralty, his control of, of his particular party, the NPA, involved, you know, some other people being not very happy. Mm-hmm. Who were actually, in my opinion, some some pretty good people. People I don't agree with politically, but pretty good. Um, with the Vision Cope split, you've got again like this buildup of some sort of toxic resentment uh, between groups of people who really are convinced they're right mm-hmm. and just <laughs> lately when cope decided we won't have an electoral alliance with vision anymore and we're going to run a majority slate for every position oh my goodness the upheavals that cope had to go through in that also very very difficult which uh, there now are how many one two three four i think different uh, splinter parties on the left. And there are several on the right as well.
1: Right. So what are the... So there's quite a few parties. Oh, yeah. What are the yeah. parties? Yeah. The major okay. players. Okay.
0: So the major th- players, the two, and uh, because they're the ones who are getting uh, getting funded by the development industry, which, let's face it, is where money is in Vancouver. And if you want big money to run a big campaign through a whole city, that's an obvious place to go. The two that are being funded by the development industry quite heavily are the Nonpartisan Association or the NPA who are running Kirk LaPointe and Vision Vancouver who are again running uh, Gregor Robertson for mayor. Um, then there's us. COPE. COPE who are running Mina Wong for mayor. Uh, we have pretty much no money. I, I was asked at an all-candidates meeting if I would divulge all the names of my donors before the election and I said... I was fine with that. My financial agent will probably tear her hair out because it's this long, long list of people who gave me, you know, like five bucks here, 20 bucks bucks here. It's like, and and it's this terrible, it's this terrible thing. It's not like you just go, well, here are our five $20,000 donors, you know, it's that we don't have that. Um, So there's us on the kind of the center right reform minded guys who um I've met them and they're really nice really uh the cedar party are new um, What do they stand for? They stand for uh they're most concerned about transparency in civic politics.
1: That would be that's that's nice. Yeah,
0: they've uh, they've brought uh they've started a lot of court actions against the uh against the the um, civic government mm-hmm. and in a way You might say that almost uh, forms like, you know, the core of their presentation of a campaign. Um, But, yeah, I don't disagree with them on transparency at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have uh, uh, a fairly secretive civic government. Okay. There's, there's certain, certain ways to, And then, okay, so who else do we have? Uh, the Green Party, for sure. Okay. Adrienne Carr has been a counselor okay. for a while. I
1: thought she means. was like a provincial person, No, but... she, well,
0: she was, but she's been a city councillor for one term. Uh, she's enormously charming, and the um, I don't know the other people who are running with her except for Pete Fry, who's well-known in Strathcona, also, you know, super, like, good dude. Give give you a fist bump right. kind of dude, and um, what else? We've got one city, uh, which is on the left. Uh, publication education project who are, are running uh, only for school board. Also on the left, um, uh, the idea party, which is. Um, people who have been COPE members before. There are two of them, I think, Park Board, one for Park Board, one for Council. So there's what, this huge array. what's
1: the effect of this giant split? Because they're, they're, they still fall into the rough kind of left, middle, yeah. right.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, it means there's a lot of choice. Yeah. So it means, you know, potentially, at best case, all these people are bringing people to the polls to vote. Mm-hmm. All these people have got, you know, they're their own people who are going to come, and the great thing about high voter turnout is, especially if it's sustained election by election, it lets politicians know, it lets the people in in power in our public bodies know that everybody's watching. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's one of the, I, I, you know, I keep saying, well, I care if I care who you vote for, but in a certain way, this care like that you get 10 people to come out to vote and then they get 10 people to come out to vote and so on because that sort of high turnout terrifies people who might abuse power. Right, or who might be
1: held accountable. So kind of like narrowing it in a bit, like I don't know, I mean, I still don't know how it all works in terms of the different ways of voting or different areas Mm -hmm. of Vancouver, but what is your... Like so, do you have a little section of Vancouver no. that you're the candidate? It's just everybody it runs and you hope to find way. a spot at the table.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a crazy system, but um, voters have turned down the idea of of a ward system, which is what most uh, most cities have, where you vote for your local councillor. Excuse me, voters have turned it down a couple of times in Vancouver. Um, I don't know how good the reasons are, but the result is. You, as somebody voting in Vancouver, you get a list of all the candidates who are running. They're all running through the entire city. Uh, if I want to get elected, I have to get enough votes in the entire city that I make it to the top 10, in terms of council candidates, um, top 10 vote getters. And last election, that was not a not a colossal number, by right. the way. It was like, it was like <laughs> last election, it was, I think. Think forty five thousand eight hundred, okay. and you think how many people there are in Vancouver? Right, right. That's not huge, but it's more people than I know.
1: Right, right. right?
0: So, a data in a certain way, it is. So, kind you of want stupifying. people from
1: every part of Vancouver to vote oh, for you? Yeah,
0: yeah, but um, that's not the way <laughs> it works. I mean, strategically, uh, you. Uh, Parties and politicians do have their areas of town, and if they've got like sophisticated polling and so on, they're they're concentrating Mm -hmm. in little areas, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I I don't actually have that sophisticated apparatus.
1: So I have a few questions. Yeah, I'll try. I'm not supposed to ask double-barreled questions Mm -hmm. or triple-barreled questions, but I'll just put them out there, and then we can move through. What don't you like about how Vancouver is right now? what would you like to see in Vancouver? And sort of what's your personal message or platform that you're running on? So what don't you like that you see right now in the okay, city?
0: What, what don't I like? What don't <laughs> the I like? The top
1: few things.
0: Yeah, the top few things. Um, let me just start by saying, I moved here in 1982. Uh, most of the things that I thought were cool uh, uh, in terms of like physical features of the city, have been decimated, right? They've been they've been gone. Which is inevitably there's going to be some change in a city, right? And, but like
1: historical landmarks, and in, a, in clubs. a certain way,
0: that just means I'm old, right? <laughs> That's just old, because, and the stuff that I knew is gone and whatever. But it also means there's a lot of stuff that we do not value uh, appropriately, and that sometimes when we discuss it publicly, we're mistaken about. So people will look at. Um, in the late '80s, there was a heritage effort around a building called the Georgia Medical Dental Building. Uh, it hadn't been maintained properly, and brick was was falling off it. And um, so they, you know, they made the case that they should tear down this high rise that was full of uh, high rise office building that was full of doctors and dentists, the people had been going to for decades. And people protested on the basis who was heritage, but to a certain extent that didn't help because it went, oh, look at these great heritage features, it has um, these huge statues of nurses and the developer, the architect and developer who were doing the proposed office tower that's there now said. Oh, you want statues? We'll give you statues. We'll take those nurse statues down. We'll put them up on the new one where they don't belong, of course. And really it misses the point because what people were upset about was the uh, the social relations around a physical place, mm-hmm. right, that were really, really valuable. And the affordable offices – for those doctors mm-hmm. dentists and other businesses that were centrally located mm-hmm. that were part of the mm-hmm. fabric of their life and so on they were replaced by a headquarters for a forestry yeah. company which is not i you know it's yeah. not particularly involving so i
1: guess affordability would be another issue for oh, probably yeah. almost everybody
0: for everybody for everybody
1: i mean be- it's re- it's insane i don't yeah. live in vancouver anymore yeah. Yeah, yeah because of that
0: yeah it it is uh, it's a huge issue our um, Our rents are high, our house prices, if you're buying, are high, and our incomes are actually relatively low Mm -hmm. in this city, and uh, that's a problem. And as an artist, you know, um, artist's incomes, regardless of what your day job is, unless you started out rich... Uh, you, artist's incomes are lower than their peers in other fields. Mm-hmm. So I think we hear, feel it more. And especially if you're a visual artist and you've got a studio and you're paying double rent and working double shift. Or a
1: musician. Musicians, or a musician. Yeah. If you've
0: got a practice space or, you know, any of those other things, um, everybody's got extra costs. And we're feeling that we've made a commitment to a city that maybe is acting like it doesn't want us. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we're not valued. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, affordability is an issue for everybody. Um, the market uh, is not actually providing what the majority of people seem to need. You know the fastest-growing sector of housing in Vancouver? You know what it is? Housing, New housing construction? Condos? Um single detached homes selling for between two and five million dollars that's the fastest growing sector Whoa. i'm like how many how many people are buying those i mean you know, i i don't know everybody but i don't know any of them right i know the people who can't pay you know the 1100 yeah. a month that they're paying now
1: well what i see in the suburbs is all these condos that are kind of empty <laughs> like i look at the rentals and it's like they're really expensive, but people aren't renting them because there's so many. I mm. mean, who knows how that's going to play out? I mean, anything in the current civic government that you really dislike, like I don't know. All I've heard about is bike lanes. I've, I'm oh. totally <laughs> ignorant. I, I mean, I don't care about the bike lanes myself, but anything sort of that they're that they've been behind that you disagree with.
0: Uh, yeah. Well, I don't like. I don't like it when I think people are misleading me. Mm. And when, I'll tell you what, and this is probably like a really bad thing, but running for office, for me, it was a decision totally made in anger. It was in one week, um, (laughs) a press release came out from the mayor's office titled Surge in Affordable Housing. And if you looked at it, if you looked at the statistics that they were serving up, you realized it was quite thin, and it was not a surge of affordable, for me anyway, housing coming on the market. It was in fact just a list of things that might be approved. And it said, oh, and also we're building all this social housing. And it's like, no, actually, that's a blip, and you're not building it. Those are the units that the province has been announcing for probably the past five yeah. years every Meanwhile, there's
1: people waiting for mental health housing yeah, for, like, yeah, eight years yeah, yeah, that yeah. are being housed in prisons. I mean, this is sort of my of that, area where I know a yeah, bit.
0: Part of that's not the city's pr- direct problem, but uh, I kind of expect when somebody's doing something badly... I know it's really difficult, but you're going to have to own up with it mm-hmm. up to it at some point and not say no everything's fine.
1: Right. And I mean, if we're going to live in a city that's so rich essentially, yeah. shouldn't we then kind of make an extra effort to provide Yeah. You would hope so. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. Um I I guess like, you know, and and just to speak to the artist thing, I mean, we're a city that has really been known right for its mm-hmm. quality of art and music like some really seminal artists and bands have come out of vancouver despite this kind of right. barrenness at times of our
0: yeah but background. i mean if you if you ask um most of our supposed supposed civic leaders um they don't really know about most of that. They don't. Stuff.
1: They don't. They're not cool. Yeah. They don't know about like the pointed sticks and yeah. DOA and the smiling Buddha. And yeah, yeah. All there's the a, artists.
0: there's one city councilor in particular who's fond of uh, 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 sp- when speaking to artists, throwing in that she's been to Burning Man. <laughs>
1: Ooh. Yeah. So, just in a nutshell, because I do have Christine Kim coming on next to yeah. talk about UBC Theatre. What's your platform? Kind of, what's your elevator message about
0: elevator your campaign? My elevator message is that we're going to take decisive action on affordability, on trying to cool speculation on housing, so that this. I mean, it's affecting everything. It's affecting not just housing prices. It's affecting businesses. There are, there are small businesses that are moving out of Vancouver, and every time five jobs move, you might just go, well, that's five jobs. But if it's a block full of five jobs, especially if they're being pl- displaced for a condo, then that's way more, and it's happening over and over and over. So affordability in housing, affordability in transit. One of our proposals that's that we'd like to negotiate the equivalent of the U-pass for every adult in Vancouver. And, you know, large companies can do it. Universities can do it. A city should be able to do it with the same sort of opt-out rates and so on. The economics of it actually work out slightly better for TransLink than what they're getting at the box now. Um, art and culture, we've got a couple of proposals uh, that I think are really, really good. And one is to look at preserving the specific buildings and types of buildings that are really suitable for, uh, for artists, for practice spaces, for studios, for offices, for storage Some theater companies. and Performing arts companies need actually a ton mm-hmm. of storage sometimes. Um, and those are older, inexpensive, flexible spaces. But they're not being protected now. Those are basically in peril and we know that people are getting pushed out of them we don't know how many because a lot of the spaces are off the books in the first place and really like as far as as far as the arts go i still don't understand we've, why we've got so many regulations and so many laws on the books about music and performance we already have noise laws uh we already have like public nuisance laws um I think those cover the problems that would arise. Mm -hmm. And yet, we've got a restriction on how much music you can have. Right. It just seems like maybe you should get out of that area that you don't really know how to regulate (laughs) anyway, especially if you don't know what's valuable.
1: Yeah, wow, so that sounds great. If I lived in Vancouver, I would vote for you. Although Uh,
0: well, well, I'm sorry you had to leave.
1: Yeah, I do, I've left because of affordability absolutely but yeah. now i live in new westminster which is great except for the congestion is absolutely hideous and yeah. i don't know if i'm gonna stay there and if <laughs> i'm if kind I... of getting sick of all of it but it you yeah,
0: know it, so new westminster is not our brooklyn then you know, it, 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 i think it, it, it's it, you
1: it's, it's not it's too cool even for that like it's so cool <laughs> no one's even gone there yet but it's very cool i i do yeah. like it but i would like to stay but the congestion is so bad i like i'm considering it, it's it's a major deterrent mm-hmm. to staying okay. when it gets bad. But thank you so much for if coming can on. If I just plug us quickly Sure.
0: Uh, we've got a really, really diverse slate of candidates running. Uh, that I was looking at it. The easiest way to describe the diversity is that our our middle-aged white man caucus is me and two others. And everybody else It's like... Um, You know, we've got First Nations candidates, we've got people of color, we've got queer people running, we've got people with disabilities running. Uh, It's a group I'm really, really proud to be standing with, regardless of what happens. It's just so amazing that it's happening. And you can see them at votecope.ca.
1: Excellent. And you've got your Twitter At KG Higgins, Yeah. And I like what you said about you got angry. And so many people are really struggling with anger around political issues. And I'm very proud that you just said, I'm going to channel this anger appropriately. Anger is not enough. Right.
0: Anger is not enough. (laughs) There's so much unfocused anger.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you. And so maybe you can keep us updated. When's the civic election?
0: Uh, The civic election, the actual voting day is November 15th. But there's an advance poll. That uh, starts in a few days, um, I believe from the uh, 4th to the 12th. I may be wrong on that. Look at Vancouver.ca for details, okay. but you can vote in advance, you can vote by mail, uh, you can take your friends to vote. Everybody ought to. Large turnout, keep small in line.
1: V O T E, vote everybody. Yeah. That's the most important thing. Yeah. Well, thanks, Keith. We're going to go to some public service announcements, but good luck on your campaign. Thanks. So thanks much. for coming.
2: Whoever said money can't buy you friends obviously wasn't a member at CITR. When you become a member, you get the Friends of CITR card with incredible discounts on Commercial Drive and other areas at Bone Rattle Music Limited, High Life Records, People's Co-op Bookstore, Audio Pile Records, Bad Bird Media, Band Merch Canada, Vancouver Music Gallery and Pandora's Box Rehearsal Studios. To find out more, visit us in room 233 of the Sub on the UBC campus or go online to citr.ca. Discorder leaps into October with an issue featuring Johnny DeCourcy,
4: Prairie Cat, Les Chaussettes, Ryan Bell, Sam Tudor, and more. Grab a copy around town or check it out online at discorder.ca. Make sure you catch a special staff sound off where Discorder writers reveal which artists they'd most like to be haunted by. <laughs> And Discorder would like to extend a special thank you to this month's advertisers, Broken Pencil Magazine, Liveband.com, Print Print, Rickshaw Theatre, Sad Mag, SFU Woodward's Cultural Programs, The Cinematheque, The Fox Cabaret, Vancouver International
0: Film Festival, Vancouver New Music, and Vinyl Records.
1: Hi, we're back on the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. We're heading into the final bit of the show. That was Keith Higgins, a COPE candidate, a civic candidate. That was great. We blabbed about Jan Gameshi, and now we have Christine Kim here. You look so nice today. Oh, thank you
5: very much. And you're going to tell us about UBC Theatre. Yes. Um, so, UBC Theatre, about two weeks ago, uh, hosted a play called Love, Lust, and Lace. Uh, this was from October 15th to 18th. And it was written by the UBC's BFA class of 2016, so the second years. Um, And when I went to go see the play on Friday, um, I had an absolute blast watching it. Um, The plot was um, just a very classic love triangle um, where there's a guy and he likes a girl, but a different girl likes him and kind of the complications that arise (laughs) from that. Um, some of the highlights that I found w- from the play were um, the hilarious characters. There was, in particular, um, a sexy cat that didn't really do much throughout the play, but just just kind of be sexy. <laughs> um, so that was, uh, the characters were really unique, and um, a lot of the play was actually based on improvisation. Um, so every single night they performed, it would be a little bit different um, because the characters would talk with audience members. Uh, The characters would ask for audience volunteers to help them out um, with different things. Um, In the beginning, um, when you walked in to pay, it was by donation, but when you walked in to pay, you could write um, a phrase on a slip of paper, and they would actually use those phrases within their dialogue. And that kind of unique interaction with the play and getting the audience members involved, I think, really heightened the play experience. Um, furthermore, the characters, um, the way that they looked on stage were was actually very unique. They all had masks on, so you couldn't actually tell um, what the actor um Look like. And so, the very final scene of the play, all the masks, all the characters take off their masks. And I was actually surprised to see that the entire cast, except for the male lead, were all females. Um, and so, that was kind of cool to, it was like a kind of a big show or a big um, surprise at the end. That, big reveal? Yeah, big reveal. Um, and that was really cool. Um, so, overall, it was a really, really funny play. Um, it wasn't one of those plays that um had a very serious tone or had a very kind of deep meaning behind it um it was a very light play kind of like a chick flick um which i thought was nice for a friday night out um i mean there were times when the vulgarity of the play went a little bit overboard but i was kind of i like it i was very surprised that it was They handled the topic of sex and love and lace um, and lust in a very original and witty way. Um, So overall, I thought it was a really good play in that sense. And I was really, really kind of, I guess, surprised to see that much improvisation with the audience, um, which I think really helped audience members get more into the play. And um, yeah.
1: So you liked it
5: mm, mm-hmm. um, I mean, the play itself um I'm more into kind of I guess you could say like the more serious plays or the plays that um have a lot of depth to them, um but it was nice having a change for a while um for those short few hours just. Getting to sit back and laugh, and mm-hmm. you know, not really be too focused on um, what what does this mean like morally, or <laughs> what does this mean in a deeper like societal way. Um, it was just nice sitting back and kind of letting my mind go wherever. The characters wanted it to so go. like entertainment more. Mm, yeah, mm. and so what's next
1: at UBC Theater? Yeah,
5: so what's next is the Bartered Bribe. Um, so as you guys know, UBC Theater this year is that there's a new initiative where they're going to try to um, combine opera into their um, kind of schedule for the rest of the, uh, the rest of the year. And so the next one, The Barter Bride, is an opera. It's um, going to start, its opening night is November 13th on Thursday at 7.30pm. And I'm really excited for this because I've never personally seen um, an opera show. So I'm a little bit nervous, don't really know what to expect, but um, hopefully it'll be a blast. <laughs> right on. So when are you going to come in and talk to us about the bartered bribe. Oh, well, I'm hoping either the following week, so the November 19th, um, or you know, the week before November 12th. Okay. So,
1: excellent. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming in. So we're just the hour went really fast, except for the first part where I just like ranted on about Gian Gameshi. So hopefully I <laughs> didn't say anything that was like offensive or something. Um and we had Keith Higgins here, the cope candidate. And on, on Keith Higgins' website, he mentions his partner, Kathy Slade, who's also an artist. And Kathy has a band uh, with Brady Cranfield, and it's called Cranfield and Slade. And they have some great songs. Um, and so you can find them on Bandcamp. They did a great album of 10 Riot songs. And Keith specifically mentioned this one. is called F.U. I won't say the full f word it's two minutes long and then stay tuned for all ears so you're listening to citr 101.9 fm thanks christine for coming on this thank is you cranfield and slade